Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Pemberley Podcast. Today is especially exciting because four years ago today was when Jillian and I reserved all of the social media accounts for the podcast and uh, was really the beginning stages of making this podcast a reality. When Yolanda and I were kind of setting up before this episode, she was like, I have this photo and we should like talk about the anniversary of setting up the accounts. And I was like, like, I didn't, I don't even know what photo she's talking about. I was like, is it this where we like set it up at at like our old, old office space? No, it was before that. What we're going to do now is a fun like reveal. I mean, like you guys can't like see what I look like, but (laughs) Yolanda is going to send me the photo that she's talking about and you get to hear me react to it. (laughs) Yeah, I'll share this we'll share this photo on instagram once this episode is live but here i'm sending you oh no it's upside down <laughs> let me text it to you maybe that'll not be upside down okay <laughs> i'm very excited because i just remember it was your idea to like start a podcast where we talk about the lizzie bennett diaries and mm-hmm. we kind of went through a lot of like existential conversations where we were like <laughs> what is the show what do we yeah. want to talk about? How far do we want to take some of our discussions? This night was when I was like, Jillian, the Pemberley is available on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Should we just reserve it? And so this was the moment. <gasps> oh my gosh! It was a very uh, Emma-approved moment where I was like, we have to document our greatness. <laughs> do you ever look at like old pictures of yourself? Yeah, and some I'm of like, the clothes oh, you I remember. remember that clothes. No, but yeah. it's the opposite for me. I'm like, I don't remember owning this top. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, this is so great. I love how bad the lighting was. So at the time, I know <laughs> we could have been facing the light and we weren't. I remember at the time I got a sublet. Like I was in the living room. It was one of those where like I was in the living room, another girl was in the living room, and you came over and that's right we recorded the very first test i don't think this ended up being like our first episode but it was like our first test episode where we just were like what do we say about the lizzie bennett diaries like what do we say about episode one and so hold on i'm gonna look at my phone and see if I still have this because we recorded it on a voice memo recording. Yeah, and we were like, I guess this is us Wait, testing this out. You I have it. I have it. It's um, yeah, August eighteenth, twenty sixteen. It's twenty nine yeah. minutes and twenty six seconds. Yeah, oh. so this, yeah, it was long. And cause, so here's the thing. There's that. And then the next one is from a week later, August 25th. And it said the Pemberley podcast, episode one, take two. Because we did like our pilot test and then we did a second test. And then we actually recorded our first episode. So we were pros, you know. We it were It wasn't pros. just like our oh, no. first time. I feel like we've kind of been pros from the beginning because you like had the thought to reserve the social media accounts. And I, oh man, I'm looking at my old laptop. That thing is a dinosaur. 
sure. Um, no, because like we recorded on the voice memos, and then we realized that if we wanted to be pros, we needed the microphone. So you and I like did our research. We're like, what's the best podcast microphone? And we got this one, the Yeti, like on sale at Best Buy. We literally like went to the Best Buy down the road from our office at the time and like bought it on sale. And we're like, oh my gosh. I really feel like we took a picture of that too, but I don't know <laughs> if you have it or I have it. Maybe we thought about doing it, but we didn't. <laughs> so. um, oh man, I'm just like looking at these kids and I'm just like, it's not enough time that we've like really aged. So we still yeah. look the same, but the difference is like my hair is much shorter and it's like much blonde. Like I forget I used to highlight my hair that much. So it's just not like, look at these kids starting their first podcast and here we are four <laughs> years later still going strong fun times fun little memory our four-year anniversary for the actual first episode is coming up too so maybe we can uh play more of like the actual test episode then for the people to listen to you know what's hilarious in the vein of emma approved i think like in the back of my head i, ca- I kept these files because i was like if when we're big one day we're gonna remember <laughs> the crappy first episodes that we recorded i don't listen back to old episodes just Uh because i'm like i know we're at our best right now (laughs) yep every episode i agree every episode where we are now at our best (laughs) yeah yeah every episode or every interview we're now at our best interview kind of thing all right well we should probably get on to because we want to run our mouths about another show that we love so much yeah so can't wait to post that anniversary stuff but for those of you who follow the terrific show the umbrella academy season two dropped at the end of july and i consumed it in two days i don't know about you yeah i finished it that weekend i i actually stayed up to midnight and i watched episode one and like half of episode two and i was like i need to go to sleep (laughs) but it was so it's so so good but in case you don't know umbrella academy is based on a comic book series uh, co-created by Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance. What I love about it is one of those shows where like I could give you the logline and it won't even do the show justice because it's yeah. about so much more. Like the premise is years ago, children were miraculously born on the same day, which is great. It's like October 1st. My birthday's October 2nd. So like really close, Adjacent. really close. What was so special about these births is like, it's not like these women were pregnant the whole time. Like they immediately, immediately got pregnant and gave birth. And this eccentric billionaire tried to round up as many of these children as he could. And he managed to get a hold of seven. And allegedly six of those kids have special abilities. It's a fantastic second season. I was highly addicted. Yeah, it's really great. It's great to see how each of them adapt to their new circumstances and how they excel or how they're failing so it's a lot of fun the season itself with no spoilers ended in a very dramatic way again Mm -hmm. so it only makes you more excited for season three which we're like oh my goodness i watched all that way too quickly and who knows you know if we get this next year like end of next year maybe so this is very remember when like sherlock was like the hottest show in the world and you just had to wait like whatever four years for two year three years and you're like well i guess three episodes technically they were still supposed to come back with like another season but i think like season one was at its best sherlock and watson both belong to the marvel universe so we are never going to see them do the show again <laughs> i know i think it's it's done done 
let's talk about another amazing series that is currently books, but could one day be movies or TV one it day? It could be. We exactly. don't know. It's good enough to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, do we call Hollywood? Does Hollywood call us? Like, you know. <laughs> We'll, right. we'll figure it out, but we can talk about chapters 15 and 16 of Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. Previously, after a faux pas of Rico mistaking DJ as Ashna's boyfriend, the two faced their first cooking challenge and managed to get through it successfully, though not without Rico noticing the near panic attack Ashna almost had. So that's where things ended, and also Ashna went back home after that long day of filming, and it looked like someone had broken into her home. Or so at least the, the light was on, so it looked right. like... I don't want to well, make she it was going to call like, 911. I was going to say, I don't want to make it sound like there was glass everywhere and blood and stuff like that. No. Like, it's just like she, the door flew open, someone is at her house, and we were like, who is it? It's alarming. Oh. Yeah, and then surprise, it's Shobi. It's Shobi. Shobi had been thinking about coming to California, as we saw in her chapter, but now she's here. She decided to just come out and without telling Ashna, because obviously, if she told Ashna, Ashna would be like, no, you can't come. I'm busy. Shobi is just kind of throwing herself into her life, but it's bad timing just because Ashna is super busy. Like, she's busy before, like, just with the restaurant, but now with the show, too it's just like she has no free time and like she even says like i have to be up in like a few hours to go to the market to like get all the fresh produce for the restaurant so it's really not the best time but shobi is there because obviously these phone conversations they've been having have led nowhere as much as like shobi does have good intentions as we've seen of wanting to reconcile her relationship with ashna it's just not been possible over the phone. So Shobi's like, all right, if she's not going to come to India, I have to go to her. We're going to talk it out. And that's how we're going to finally resolve this thing. I mean, what's kind of like interesting, because we know the last time we saw Shobi, she was on a beach in India. And she was just like, holy crap, what has my life come to? You know, like, I should be so happy that I'm about to win the Padma Shri. I'm not happy because I don't have a good relationship with my daughter. And so she kind of comes to the conclusion that she's going to try and make it work because she can't imagine living another day without having a good relationship with her. In Ashna's mind, there will never be a convenient time for Shobi to show no. up. It, it even says, like, she she walks in and she's like, Shobi, mom? She doesn't even think of her as mom. She thinks of her as Shobi. And so she comes in and, like, Shobi just causes a, a tornado of mess. And she's just like, a sour feeling bubbled in Ashna's stomach. The house had always been in this kind of disarray when Shobi visited. It used to feel warm and cozy until Ashna started to associate the mess with the constant fear of Shobi leaving. She hates that her mother visits because that's... That means one day she's going to go back to India. We got Shobi's perspective of why she was wanting to come out to California. But now we're getting Ashna's perspective of the response to seeing her mom in California and in her home. And it's that she does see it as still uh, selfish intentions of why Shobi is there, of wanting to more get over her mom guilt than actually reconcile with, with Ashna. She sees it as, as like, oh, great, you got your Padma Shri. Now you're moving on to your next new goal, which is me. Like, I'm your next project. Like, you've taken care of the big things. And now I'm finally, like, you finally got into me on, on your big list. And I think something, too, we had assumed was that when we got the flashback chapter was that Ashna didn't know that Shobi was forced into the marriage and that she suddenly had her life taken away from her. 
But actually, Ashin knew about it because in their many arguments that Shobi had with Brahm, it was one of the things she brought up the most of like, I was forced into this marriage, you know, she got everything taken away from her, she wanted to find her voice. So those are like similar phrases that Ashna has heard all her life of why Shobi left. To uh, Ashna, it's like, yeah, I've heard that excuse before. It still doesn't excuse you from abandoning me, abandoning being a mom, because, you know, fair point that like Shobi could have left her marriage, but not left being a mom. You know, Shobi chose to do both. I feel like society feels a lot worse for single dads rather than single moms Mm -hmm. because they're like, well, you're a single mom. You're sort of like nature equipped you for this. Like, I get that it's easier with a partner, but it's just like you feel worse for men for being put in this position because it's like not supposed to be their responsibility. I did Mm. air quotes there because that's not the truth. And it's interesting because what Ashna is doing by lashing out at Shobi because like she she truly sees it this way. She's like my I'm my mother's project. She's never cared. If she cared, she would have just like been here. The reason she and Ashna have always been like tiptoeing around what they want to say to each other is because she's always kind of hoped that Ashna would come to her and come to love her the way that she loves her dead father and that's just not happening so she's like you know what I'm just gonna have to take brute force method I'm gonna have to like take a lot of action I'm gonna live with her and then the stakes get upped a lot when Mm -hmm. Shobi drops this bomb and says technically I own curry dreams because like we were never divorced I will just shut it down this uh, surprisingly does not go over well with Ashna that's a major thing to drop on her because to Shobi she's like I'm finally gonna like push this girl out of this restaurant and like she sees it as saving her but obviously Tashna it's like no she's taking away the one thing that means most to her it's her livelihood it's something that she is most passionate about or you know not passionate but you know it's the one thing that she's most focused on because that's the also the argument that comes up between Ashna and Shobi is like Shobi telling her like you're not passionate about cooking you're not passionate about this restaurant and you can't even win the competition because you don't like cooking because Shobi Shobi has lived such a passion-driven life. Again, she can't imagine like why Ashna wouldn't want to do the same. But Ashna throws that back at her of being like, well, we all can't abandon our lives to follow our passions. So it's like these two big moments. Again, like over the phone, they've come to this conclusion of like, great, these conversations are never going to end well. And in person, even more so. But also, I mean, Ashna was caught off guard. Shobi had a whole flight to think about what she could say and like think about this and process this. And I'm sure even like, you know what, maybe I'll just sell it. Maybe I'll just sell Curry Dreams and finally she can move on and and be free of that. I think she sees it as almost like doing Ashna a favor for Ashna who is tired, is overworked, getting this dropped on her is not you know, a welcome thing at all. Like, I don't think it would have been a welcome thing if she were well-rested and it was like daytime, but still. <laughs> I feel like she's closer to the feeling of resenting her mother than she's actually close to her mother. It's always going to be present, whereas Shobi has not always been present. As is expected, she's like, you know, I own it. I could sell it. And Ashna's just like, that is a new low even for you. How could you? And she says, you already hate me. I might as well do what's right for you and risk you hating me more. So she's pulling out like really big guns. And Ashna is not happy, which I totally understand. But it's funny that like both Rico and Shobi look at Ashna and they're like, why are you a chef? You hate cooking. Why are you doing this? And she's like, what are you talking about? I've always loved cooking. Cooking is my passion. I have a whole restaurant. Haven't you heard? 
they get into talking about the show, Shobi makes a new deal, which is, how about this? If you win the show, I'll like sign over the rights of Quarry Dreams to you. But if you lose, then I get to sell it. I feel like the stakes were already really high of just like, are we going to save Curry Dreams? Like it wasn't even about winning. Mm -hmm. It was just about the exposure. Now it's about winning, but it's not winning because she loves cooking. It's winning because she wants to piss her mother off. She, I don't think she really wants to accept that offer. Her, but she also doesn't want to admit like the fact that she could lose so in almost like false confidence she's like yeah of course i'm gonna win so i'm gonna take this bet prove her wrong to be like all right i'm gonna win i can show her that i maybe you can win something without passion or maybe proving that she is passionate about cooking because honestly we don't really know that ashna loves cooking i think she just loves being in the restaurant and feeling close to her father in that way but does she actually love what she does not necessarily so it's something that she's just, as you mentioned, like it's more of like the resentment uh, towards Shobi and trying to win. I do like that Shobi does own up to being like, you know what? Okay, immediately saying I was going to sell Curry Dreams, bad move. But here's this proposition. <laughs> so little steps. Yeah, I mean, she wants to, because I mean, Shobi, the thing about her relationship with Ashna is that there's really nothing that Shobi can take away from her. Like, what is she going to do? Take away her love and affection? That's gone. It's not like she gives her money. It's not like she can take that away from her. So like mm -hmm. the only thing she has the power to take away to get her to pay attention to their relationship is curry dreams you know i think she definitely does not want to play that card because it's been 10 years since ashna took over and like we this is the first time that we're hearing that she's not legally the owner of curry dreams so like obviously she's she's been wanting to give her daughter the time and space to figure it out but it's it's 10 years and and something that they get into that i didn't realize is you know ashna's 30 and shobi is 49 which means that like she had Ashna like so, so young. And it's crazy because to me, I'm like, wow, 49 is not that old. But her, she's just like, I'm getting older and I really want a relationship with my daughter. I feel like in a situation like this, there's never like a right move. There's just like effective moves. No, I mean, yeah, she was like 19 when she had Ashna. Like that is so young. I mean, we're, we're still learning more from the flashback chapters. We knew that Shobi was wanting to go to college. So 19 means... Did she go to college or did she get pregnant and now like she wasn't able to do that? That's something we hopefully can learn more about in future flashback chapters. But kind of a quick side note is that Shobi does compliment Ashna on the tea, mm -hmm. which she doesn't know Ashna made, which I'm like, oh, so should Ashna just like turn her restaurant into like a cafe and maybe start a tea business? She could just <laughs> make chai like, forever. Yeah, that seems like it'd be fun for her. And like a little less work, a little less stress. And also the other part of this arrangement before we sort of jump into the next episode, which is also a flashback for Shobi is that she's going to stay right there in the same house with Ashna throughout the whole cooking competition. So they get to see this fun adventure out together. Yeah, which is tough because right now home has been like the one escape for Ashna because if like she's filming with Rico, she can still go home and like be alone and be away from everything and just be herself. But now she doesn't even have that like small oasis of a space. If she's home, she has to face Shobi. If she's at work, she has to face Rico. It's a really tough emotional place to be in. And 
we'll see more of that later, but in chapter 16, we get another flashback chapter, um, and this is about Shobi confronting Brahm about his proposal. This is, it seems like shortly after that her father had told her Brahm has proposed, and it was, it was almost assumed that she was going to accept, or she would have to accept, like she didn't have a choice in the matter. Shobi had told her father, no, I'm actually in love with Omar. Omar's family is manages their estate. They work for them. Shobi's father said, well, if you don't marry Brahm, then I'm just going to ruin Omar's family. Like, I could set him up to go to jail. I could, like, obviously fire them and ruin their entire lives. So she has to be really careful about all of her next moves and try to figure out what's actually behind Brahm's thinking of why he even proposed to her. But also she's still in communication with Omar, but she has to be really careful about how she contacts him because she knows um, she tries to like make an international call from inside the house, but she realizes, oh no, like if this call shows up on like the bill or he finds out somehow, then they're going to trace it back to me and they're going to know I talked to Omar. So she actually like goes an hour away to somewhere that she can make that international call for like five minutes and talk to him. I don't think she's fully given up on like the fact that they can be together because obviously they have like this really sweet conversation and he's very romantic and wonderful. He says, it is dark without your voice, John, I've, but I've gathered the sparks of your laughter in my heart for centuries and like constellations in the night, they will be my light. She's missed his gentleness and mm. just how nice and wonderful he is. Obviously, the very much so the opposite of, of Brahm. <laughs> So the other thing that's sort of at play here is that he, she's calling the UK to talk to him because he's away at Oxford, which is where she wants to go. And so it's kind of like all the applications are sent out and she's just like in this waiting period where it's like, am I going to go to college or I'm going to marry Brom? Because the other big thing about like her wanting to talk to Brom is she's like, this has to be a joke because he's not interested in me. We're just friends. Like he is sleeping with models who are like that he meets vacationing in Switzerland like that's his type I'm just like his weird dopey nerdy little friend I'm like a tomboy who like plays cricket and stuff like he doesn't care he doesn't look at me that way and so it's a huge shock to her that a he's interested in marrying her but b marrying him would mean that she could never be with Omar so like she's still kind of in this state of shock where she's like no he didn't mean that maybe he just wants to marry me because he he just like we're good friends and maybe once I tell him that I'm in love with someone else then like he'll be really understanding and and he'll just ask to not marry me and I can back out of this yeah because I think yeah to her she's like Okay, clearly something got lost in translation because why would he propose to me? He has a girlfriend, so what's going on? Like, maybe this was something his family forced him into. Like, who knows? Like, all these different theories could be running through Shobi's mind. So she's like, okay, I want to talk to him. So she sends for someone to, like, bring him in. He comes in and he walks in so confident and so just, like... I'm a gift to you, <laughs> and aren't you so glad? He's like, yes, you know, like, we're going to be married. Isn't that so great? And he really acting like, congrats, like, you got me. He's like and those like, guys who dress up for Halloween as God's gift to women. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, I think so. Shobi knows it's a delicate situation, 
So she does not going to immediately be like, why are you doing this? She has to like kind of lightly get questions out there and get answers. But every question she asks, he's like, oh my goodness, like you're so bashful and you're blushing. Like, I didn't expect you to be this way. I can't believe how in love we are kind of deal. (laughs) Yeah. I think he assumes that like she's obsessed with him and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got this like 18 year old wife who's like obsessed with me. It's like so cute because she's also and he's probably like I have the best of both worlds because I love that she's like spunky and fiery and fierce and passionate. Like he really loves that about her. But he's also like, oh, and she she can also be demure. And he's like, oh, you're stuttering like yes darling you can say it we're getting married like yeah it's awful (laughs) the first thing she wants to get clarified is like so your girlfriend's like you had one right (laughs) and now we're engaged and so he says like yeah yeah but like you know she was sleeping around with people and uh shobi's like she was sleeping with you and it's just like this awful double standard of like who does this guy think he is it's like it's just like some of the i think that's like one of the most blatant forms of misogyny because he's like why would i marry a woman who sleeps around it doesn't sound like she was cheating on him and like sleeping with a she was sleeping with him the fact that like that was a point against her and that made him think less of her and he like still sort of like wanted a demure virgin is just like not what you was expecting from him you know she was just like but you like party you like travel and you have these adventures with these women like why do you want me you know he's mistaking her nervousness for being like nervous around him and like that's what he wants he wants someone who worships him and that's something where like he again misinterprets it as like oh, you're just jealous. You're jealous of all the women I've been with. And like, but no, like you more than compare to them. Like, that's why I chose you because of like the way you are. He says like, it's me, Shobes. You don't have to pretend around me. And you're like, oh, no, like you're completely not reading this situation correctly. She doesn't want you. She's never wanted you. But because he is so wrapped up in his own world in his own self-centered world where like he is the center of attention all the time he's like of course she would want me like everyone wants me so the fact that i've proposed to her and she finally knows like we can be together and she doesn't need to be so so bashful like it's just me it's the same old brahm (laughs) like yeah and he and then he thinks that it's like the proposal that she has an issue with and he was like oh i didn't think you'd be the type to want me to get down on one knee and like grovel for your hand but like i've got a ring i can go do that right now and and like he was also like very aggressively coming on to her like at point some points in this like she's hiding behind a chair she's like trying to put physical distance between them and he's like he's described as like being like a really big guy like over six feet really broad really athletic he just like keeps like invading her space and at one point she like puts a hand on his chest to like stop him and that's like kind of a big moment because it says like he looked down at her hand on his chest as though no no one had ever stopped him from doing anything before, but he stayed put. Something before that too was um, she was like, we can't get married. Like I wanted to go to college. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Like we can find a way to get you into the little college you want to get into. And Shobi wants to earn it. Like she doesn't want to like a call to get made and, and magically be in. She's like, no, I want to earn my spot. And in her mind, she's like, just like Omar. Omar earned his spot. I want to earn my spot. And it's just, like, the difference in how they were raised of, like, Brom being able to, like, snap his fingers and something being done for him versus Shobi actually working toward it and earning it. 
It's like the more things she accepts from him, the more he can take away eventually, you know, like that's I think what's really scary about being like so young and being put in a position like this where they're just like, but if you marry this guy, he could give you this. He could give you that. He could give you all these things. Well, he'll give you stuff as long as you're on his good side. But then like when giveth (laughs) taketh away, you know, it's just like it's scary to be put in a position where you have no resources of your own. Like that's why she has to go an hour out of her way to like pay her own money to like and she's even got like her father's men following her to like just make these five minute calls to Omar because it's like she he's one of the only things she has of her own you know like if she did like let's say like she didn't have a romance with Omar and she still refused Brahm like it's not as if she has her own money to fall back on it's not as if she has any of her own resources like so much of this is like what you have is tethered to like your designated man and right now it's her father but now her like designated man who's supposed to like protect her and like be her representative in the world is like a huge conniving ass who's so full of himself kind of playing into the scary part of it is that she finally says what she's been trying to circle around which is like i'm in love with someone else she doesn't say omar and that's when brahm stops like sort of like the teasing that he's been doing this entire time and gets really serious grabs her arm and like is hurting her and is like that's not funny I think he sort of expects her to kind of like cower and to give in and be like, no, I'm sorry. But she stands her ground and she's like, I'd rather die than be married to you. So (laughs) it's an escalation. I get it. She's really scared. She's backed into a corner. But I feel like that's another just demonstration of like he was being all teasy and flirty until she displeased him. And then he was hurting her. Same with her father. Like her father had never hit her before. But when she's like, I don't want to marry him, he hit her and he locked her in her room. You know, it's like you're on you're fine until you're not. And then just like to live off of those whims is just terrifying. Up until this point, she had been able to live freely and do what she wanted and even pointed out like how could her father force her into like this she calls it like almost like medieval situation of like being forced into marriage like to her she's like i thought we were past that like her mother has a master's degree and she was hoping to get her phd why can't she be a free educated woman and now she's getting forced into this marriage and forced to be with someone she does not want to be with Yeah, because this is happening in like the late 80s, early 90s, you know, it's the modern world, like, there's technology and stuff. And it must be crazy to just like know that the rest of the world doesn't do this. And she's being like forced to, you know, the only thing that like Brom kind of has going for him is that like, Shobi really loves his mother. And she was very supportive when she lost her own mother. But she's standing her ground. And she's like, I can't marry you because i want someone else we don't know what sort of happens to that confrontation after this yeah that's the end of the flashback i mean again just like more context into what shobi went through with brahm and like seeing a different side to brahm that even ashna doesn't know about possibly the fact that ashna admires her father so much is clear that like him as a husband and person is very different from him as a father to Ashna. So they just saw two completely different sides to this same person. And obviously, 
like too, Brahm in India with all his wealth and all like this power is also very different from the person who is hustling to keep this restaurant alive in the Bay Area. Two completely different situations. And how can Ashna and Shobi possibly reconcile like these two completely different people in their minds and come together to be like, no, like, obviously, we had two very different experiences. How can though we move past it and, you know, reconcile our relationship and and as mother and daughter, but I don't know where the middle ground is here. I see like this Brahm and I'm like, this guy doesn't hustle. This guy doesn't yeah. work. Oh, no. He just he just wants to be loved and admired and then just like have his cake and eat it too. I hate that. And I feel like if Ashna knew these stories about her father, she'd have a lot less respect for him because I feel like this guy doesn't even like women that much. He doesn't respect them. He doesn't care about like what they want or their feelings or anything like that. And he is like sort of turning violent when Shobi is just like trying to stand up for herself, you know, like he's not a good listener. He's not a good talker or anything like that. So I'm, and I can like, I can see how not only her being raised in this environment, but being forced into this situation when she's so young. I mean, think about who you were when you were 18. Like what? We're used to seeing like people rebel in their 20s, but it's just weird when you're a wife and a mother and you've got those titles and you're rebelling and you're just like, I'm choosing my career, I'm choosing my passion, I'm choosing what I want to do over you because you're the worst person in the world, you're a terrible husband, you're domineering, you're horrible, you're oppressive, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you know, I'll figure out Ashna later. If Ashna resents her mother so much, she's just not going to hear her out at this point. So they just need to find a way to get past it to to talk through it. But, you know, we'll see. At least we have, again, more insight into what Shobi went through. And I think with every time we see Shobi kind of try to control Ashna's life, we then get insight into why she is this way. Um, because she doesn't want to see Ashna fall into the same trap that she fell into, which was like your life suddenly being controlled by this one guy, which that's how Shobi sees it. She's like, my daughter's whole life is being controlled by the same man who controlled my life or tried to, you know? But I also feel like she doesn't see that she's sort of doing the same thing by also trying to control yeah. Ashna. Like, she, it's different for her because she's like, I want the best for Ashna. I want her to choose for herself. It's a different kind of control. And because Ashna never knew the, like, forced into marriage thing, She's just like, mom's the worst. She's trying to control me. And she's like, no, I'm not trying to be the worst. I'm trying to like liberate you. Yeah. And she does know the forced into marriage thing because she heard it in their arguments, but not the full, full story. I think she was kind of like, dad was a great guy. He was a good husband and father. So like, you clearly are just ungrateful and you don't love us. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I really like these showby flashbacks. We're also seeing flashbacks into Ashna as an 18-year-old and her relationship with Rico. So I am quite interested to see uh, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. 